Hello and welcome to the Beamy Podcast. I'm your host, Maurice Gordon. I am a Professor of Evidence Synthesis and Systematic Review at the University of Central Lancashire in the UK, and I'm also the Chair of the Beamy Editorial Committee. And today on the podcast, I really wanted to talk to you myself um, about searching. Uh, so rather than being an exhaustive guide or a skill-based tutorial, it's more about my thoughts on where searching fits into the process of systematic review and education uh, and some of the important uh, steps and pitfalls, potentially. Uh, so the first thing I would say is uh, that there is a, uh, an issue with searching and that one of the major problems I see is that searches are completed where the question being asked is ill-defined. And this can be very problematic when we're talking about uh, education. That is mainly because of the often ubiquitous um, way some of the terms can be used. So, for example, when we're talking about clinical medicine, I'm doing work in Cochrane, when you're using a particular drug, we use that in search string, making up a, a set of search terms through Boolean searching in uh, Medline. Uh, often the killer item that limits down your, your search uh, is the mention of that particular drug. So if I mention Crohn's disease uh, and I mention a drug such as uh, aminosalicylic acids, 5-ASAs, actually a lot of the other terms I'll use to hone in my search are largely irrelevant. It's those two items in uh, combination that really cut down your results and you can play with this in PubMed. Now the problem we have in education is often the terms we use um, by themselves actually open up more doors than they close. So recent experiences we've had are looking at terms like patient safety or patient involvement or service user involvement and in fact when you add these search terms rather than um, limiting and uh, refining your search actually it seems to add an awful lot more relevance and, and, and this is for a couple of reasons first of all because um, what you're describing often is not very well defined from your own perspective this is something we've worked through uh, so when you talk about patient safety what do you actually mean when you talk about the involvement of patients or service users what does that group mean uh, and conversely uh, the way they're used by other people in the field is ill-defined so not only do you have to be well defined but the rest of the field has to be well defined uh, and I think this brings me back uh, to one of the key um, and slightly um, hypocritical elements um, that I'll state in terms of how you design a search, in that when you're performing a search in systematic review, the search should be uh, prospectively agreed, it should be well designed and thought out, usually using someone with expertise in the area. But actually, I would argue that because definitions and understanding is so crucial to the process, you need to perform a search at the point of deciding on your, your, your question and what your search terms are going to be. So this is where the concept of scoping search comes up. And, and this is uh, an issue we have a lot of confusion with when we're getting uh, protocols through and interest through from people in systematic review. They'll talk about a scoping review. And that's not what I'm discussing. A scoping review is a different entity uh, completely. Uh, now, scoping reviews can be defined um, uh, as uh, a way of mapping key concepts in a research area and are seen as exploratory, not uh, of lower quality. So the difference between a systematic or uh, a sort of a general evidence synthesis uh, process would be that a scoping review would be broad. So it'd be a question of looking what's out there uh, and as such can be flexible and change with time um, and often will be qualitative in how it synthesizes, whereas a systematic review will be more focused. So in the same way that a scoping review will set the scene for perhaps future systematic reviews, a scoping search as part of your scene setting 
for the design phase of a systematic review is key. So if you are looking at terms like patient safety, using this as a, as a broad brushstroke to start searching and looking at how other people have defined this. Are there any accepted definitions? Does that definition fit with what you are thinking? Is it, This is all a key part of the process that will allow you to better define your inclusion exclusion criteria. And these are what form the basis of the actual search you're going to perform. So uh, I think this is a key concept I wanted to present to you, this idea that a scoping review is a valid tool and is a valid type of reviews that we would consider in, in BME and outside BME, if done systematically and appropriately. Now, they're not an excuse for non-systematic work. They're often used in that way. But any definition, and the definition I gave you, uh, is a well-accepted one that comes out of, um, out of Canada from HL Wiki, which is a very good resource um, as, as, as the Wikipedia equivalent of a medical librarian, and I use it very much. So that's their definition. Um, and I think it's something that often, when I look at published works outside of BME, um, I, I think is misunderstood. But what I'm proposing is that to allow you to perform an appropriate search as part of your actual review, a scoping search in those exploratory phrases of setting your question is absolutely mandatory. And this will be more exploratory. It will be less systematic. And it's allowed to be because you're allowing this to form the framework in which your systematic search will form. So uh, I hope that's clear, and I suggest the best way really to get clarity on this issue is, is to explore uh, in that way, to try and come up with a question and start that exploratory phase. What you do not want to do is get into the depths of your actual review without having these issues ironed out, without having ever looked at the literature systematically with your search uh, and finding out problems. Um, the second area I wanted to discuss was something I've touched on already, which is some of these terms that are very hard to define is dealing with, with what that throws up. And again, I'll give you some recent um, experience we've had from a review looking at patient and service user involvement in education in medicine and what we found was because those particular terms are very difficult patient service user and they use so much across uh, uh, abstracted work in medline and um, mbase etc we were getting hundreds of thousands of, of hits and interestingly um, it brings up a dilemma we see when we're, we're reviewing which one has to be aware of work in systematic review um, of any form using any form of synthesis, whether it be scoping review, whether it be realist review, whether it be traditional quantitative review in medicine, it doesn't matter. It has to be systematic, and that systematicity defines its transparency, its reproducibility, and the processes followed. That adds strength. What you do for the data when you get it can be as qualitative or quantitative, as realist or relativist as you want, but that process to get there has to be scientific in the same way that any data um, collection for any form of study has to be. Um, and when you're trying to do this using terms that are used so broadly, um, you, you ultimately have a bit of a mess. And what we found is we looked at a previous publication to try and use their search terms as, uh, as a guide. And there was one from 10 years ago. And we plugged in verbatim their exact search strategy. And where they had claimed they had 2,000 hits, we got 27,000. And that was limited to the dates they gave. And that raises a massive dilemma because one would argue that either they've misreported their own search or they don't understand it. And I'm going to propose the latter. This is something we see time and time again, where a search is performed, for example, by a very skilled librarian to put limits on. And these are absolutely reasonable, they're fine. But those involved in the rest of the research are not aware of this, they don't report it. And so what you end up with is a piece of work somewhat reproducible. And this lowers its quality, it lowers its usefulness. And I would be lying if I said there have not been numerous times where I've done this as a peer reviewer for any journal. I've received a, a search strategy, I've, I've plugged it into uh, Medline just to check it as part of my due diligence and I found this mismatch and I've thrown this back as a peer review comment and I would say nine times out of ten 
just the paper disappears because it's a fatal flaw and I'm saying this as a really as a way to not fall into that flaw there's no problem with involving a skilled searcher a librarian in fact I would strongly advise it but you have to work together it's not a job that you disseminate it, you have to make sure they understand that accurately reporting everything they do is vital and this is something that Cochrane for example as a, a competing interest to Beamy and Medical Education Review has accepted and in recent years we are not allowed to perform our own searches anymore working for Cochrane IBD group and several other groups we now submit our proposal for a strategy which they help us form they perform the search and they feed back to us the results and this was because they had so many problems with this that they couldn't trust it unless they did it in-house now this is something I would love to see as a direction for being moving forward but in the meantime it is vital that when you move from the scoping search phase to help you define your question to the actual search that goes in that you are confident that the number of results obtained and the, the search that's used is what you report not just that we can trust the quality of the work so that people like yourself and, and colleagues and myself in the future looking to build on your work three five ten twenty years down the line can understand what you did and, and use it so you're, you're producing in a sense um, a valuable primary outcome for the field which is a search strategy which can be built on by other people they can cite in the future and if you don't do that you've missed an opportunity what why not you've done the work why shouldn't we cite you in the future and say we use this search strategy as the basis and in doing so not only have you added with the synthesis you've also added something valuable methodologically to the field so that's that's another pitfall there's no problem with using uh, such limitations limiting uh, with different uh, mesh terms and other things that very skilled people will do but just make sure you understand what they are or at least report them accurately um, the final uh, thing i would be weary of is adding your own limitations for the wrong reasons so limiting results is key to make the results workable um, this is the, 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 the most common things people will do with, with the search. They'll limit it because they find they get an unworkable amount of citations, for example, 10, 20, 30, 40,000. Um, and that's fine. It's entirely reasonable to limit a search because it's unworkable. But you have to make sure you don't, in doing so, uh, remove the wheat from the chaff and end up left with just the chaff. And there's a danger there. And so what you need to do that is a yardstick. And this is back to our scoping. Your scoping, your very design phase of your systematic review, should allow you to identify key works. And so what I will tend to do as a fail-safe check is when I've designed a strategy that I think is working, try and seek out the years of publication of those key works and see if they're included. It makes sense. It's, it's obvious. But if you don't do this, you end up with a search strategy that in itself is flawed. And you may argue that, don't worry, you'll pick up those key pieces through your other sources, through the references of included studies from consulting with experts. But it raises questions about the reliability and validity elements of your search. Does it get the same results every time? More importantly, does it get the right results? So you can use those as a yardstick. I'm not suggesting that you can use other sources such as previous systematic reviewer articles as primary sources of, for the search. The search has to stand on its own two feet. But as a yardstick to check its appropriateness, I think that's a very useful step. So that's all I've got to say. So this is less a podcast and more a mini pod um, uh, to summarise the three areas, which I think are my points to bear in mind for searching in a uh, education systematic review or beam review. The first is to be clear what's a scoping search at the design phase and what's actually a systematic search as part of your work, regardless of whether it's a scoping review or not. The second is to be very clear about reporting your search accurately and understanding that what you report is a tool in its own right um, and has to be systematic 
So from a quality perspective, it has to be well reported, but also can be useful for us moving forward. And the final is about terminology and, and, and not being afraid to limit, to make a search workable and, and feasible, but at the same token, doing so in a way that doesn't endanger and actually uh, limit uh, the usefulness of the search you produce. So you end up with, for example, an empty review with no included studies, not because there's no research, but because you didn't look for that research. So those are just a few early thoughts um, I wanted to throw out. Obviously, as always with our podcast, we'd love to have feedback, thoughts, ideas. Please, um, you can respond directly to beamy at uh, dundee.ac.uk. I'm happy for you to email me directly at mgordon.uclan.ac.uk. We're always happy to hear from anyone who wants advice or support on any review. Uh, and we love to canvas always future topics or ideas for Beamy reviews. If you're interested, just get in touch. Thank you and goodbye. We'll hope to... Join you again next time.